welcome to Going Out Your Door, the podcast to get you out your door and on the road. My name is Marjorie Freimuth. Hola, ni hao, guten tag, konnichiwa. Uh, Those are the ones that come to mind off the top of my head. I actually did not plan that incredibly corny introduction to our episode on languages today, but those are the ones that popped into my brain. So yes, we are talking languages, learning languages, foreign languages, some fun facts about English, all of those things. And so I'm just going to start off with some fun facts because I love a good cocktail party fact, and I also love languages. I'm an ESL teacher, a certified ESL teacher. I just love geeking out on languages. So did you know that the reason that humans can talk is because about 30,000 years ago, there was an evolutionary change that pushed our larynx down further into our throat than it was before. Because of this, we are able to talk, which is awesome, but it also means that we can choke, which is not great. I did not know that other mammals cannot choke on their food. They can swallow and breathe at the same time. So they can like swallow a bite of food and keep breathing, which means that they cannot choke on their food. That's crazy. I had no idea. But it's also the reason why they can't talk and we can. So pros and cons. (laughs) Anyway, so a long time ago, humans evolved this ability to talk, which means that we developed languages. And English, as you may already know, or you may have guessed, if you are an English speaker, native English speaker, or you learned it in school, English is a hodgepodge of other languages. We pick up different words and phrases and incorporate them into, uh, I'm going to say our own because I'm a native English speaker, but we... We love adopting new things, and that has been the case uh, for thousands and thousands of years, really. I mean, English has had influence all over the globe. We have, back in Europe, been taken over by different cultures. We have taken over other cultures. And through all of that, we have just sort of assembled this um, melting pot. Oh, that's so corny. What's a better? Just assembled this wild, wacky language that we have that is full of rules, and for every rule, there's an exception to that rule, and it just makes no sense and is so hard to teach because of that, but I love it for all of those reasons. So here are some fun facts about this hodgepodge of a language, although we're not solely talking about English today, but I just thought we'd start with this. So because English is such a mix of different influences, that is one of the reasons why we have so many synonyms, words that mean the same or almost the same thing. And that's something that I actually discovered when I was teaching in Taiwan. I never really thought about it today. Like, we just have lots of words that mean the same thing. You can be happy. You can be glad. You can be joyful. And if you are an English speaker, you can probably tell me the shades of different meanings between between happy and glad and joyful. And they don't all mean exactly the same thing, which is why we have different versions of them. I will never forget when an adult student that I was teaching in Taiwan asked me why he had to learn so many vocabulary words. He was like, I already know the word beautiful. Do I have to learn pretty as well? And I was kind of like, well... No, no, not if you don't want to. I mean, it's always different when you're teaching adults. With kids, it's like, okay, you have to learn this. With adults, it's like, well, you know, 
you have a better grasp of why you want to learn this language, you know, to what what degree, what level you want to communicate in it, you know, for your job or your social life or things like that. So you can sort of, the student can drive their education a little bit more than the teacher does in that case. So in response to him, I was like, well, you know, you don't have to. I mean, beautiful will suffice if you're talking about how something appears nice to you, but English is full of synonyms, and if you really want to gain proficiency or mastery, yeah, you are going to have to learn a ton of vocabulary words. And he told me, and I've asked many students this after the fact, that Chinese doesn't necessarily have all of those ways to say the same thing that English does. And I asked other students about this just for clarification, and they would say like, well, yeah, it does have synonyms. I think most languages do. But the more that I learn about English and the more that I read about English, the degree of vocabulary that we have is a little bit remarkable in comparison to other languages. And one thing that I also find interesting is that English can also, or in many ways, possesses a synonym for each level of our culture, like lowbrow culture, highbrow culture, however you want to think about it. So for example, we can say that you think about something, which is just sort of the ordinary word, or you ponder something, slightly more elevated, or you could cogitate about a problem, which is like the highest level of thinking that you can do. You can feel fear, you can feel terror, or you could feel trepidation. So we have like these different statuses, I almost want to say, for our vocabulary. All of them basically say the same thing, but there's definitely a different level of perception that would be had for each of these different words. And a lot of this is because of those other influences from foreign languages. So for example, the Danish influence on English in Europe up until the 1700s is why we have a word for both craft and a word for skill, or a word for wish and a word for want, which again, basically mean the same thing, but there are different shades of meaning between those vocabulary words. I'm sorry, I'm geeking out so hard right now. I hope I'm making sense. Um... We can also distinguish between the words house and home, which not all other languages can. We have childish and we have childlike, which are different, masterfully and masterful, informant, informer. We have all of these words that are very similar, but either um, convey a different actor or action or maturity level in the case of childish or childlike. There's just these slight shades of meaning that make English such a rich language. And again, I don't mean to say that other languages are not rich or don't have their own like wonderful quirks and ways of expressing things. They absolutely do. Again, native English speaker here, so thought I'd geek out a little bit at the beginning. And one thing I love teaching in Taiwan, even teaching the the little kids, you know, the first graders who can express themselves in very basic but pointed, very specific ways with their limited English ability, but they'd been, even just their level of exposure at our English school had taught them some of these things that are instinctive to native English speakers, like the difference between how we talk about animals and food. Um, You know, we talk about like the cow is the animal the beef is the food. And so one thing they always found very funny 
when we were talking about this is saying like, well, do you eat pig or do you eat pork? And they just cracked up at the thought of eating pig. They they knew they'd, you know, we'd had enough lunchtime speaking English that they knew the word for the food versus the word for the animal, which again comes from these different influences. Isn't it the French? I didn't look this up ahead of time. I think it's French that influences our word for the food versus the word for the animal. That is all to say, English is fascinating. Languages are fascinating. I love them. This is what we are talking about today. So my personal experience learning languages has been very varied all over the map. Um, I'm definitely not fluent in any other language. I have a little bit of experience and exposure in several. Like many Americans, I took four years of Spanish in high school, which is to say I have a very basic understanding of Spanish. And we're going to talk about the American foreign language education system in a little bit. Uh, when I was in college, I started learning German because I wanted to go to Austria. So I had a few years of German in college and also just exposure immersion while I was in Austria. Then I moved to the Czech Republic, so I was immersed in Czech and also took one-on-one Czech classes while I was there, which you might think that would have been the most effective way to learn a language. I will say I remember the least Czech of all of my languages. Bizarrely, the one... Okay, there are two things I remember very well. There are a few other words and phrases floating around in there, but the two that always jump to mind are dikobras, which is porcupine. And my my pronunciation may be totally, totally gone at this point, but at some level, dikobras means porcupine. I don't know why I remember that. And the other phrase I remember is yestia jedno pivo prosim, which is another beer, please. I don't know if that's a good sign that that is what stuck in my head, but it did. Yeste jedno pivo prosim. Oh boy. Uh, let's see. And then I moved to Taiwan, and I've lived in Taiwan the longest, as you probably know by now. And I am embarrassed to say that my Chinese is not good. Uh, it's not even conversational. And that is a huge failing on my part that I do feel very guilty about that I never actually studied Chinese. And the large reason is it's just far too easy to get by with English and I got lazy. When I moved to Taiwan, I thought that I would study it. I would take classes in the same way that I had taken classes in the Czech Republic, but I just never really got my act together to make that happen. And I got far too used to just getting by with English, you know, to a large degree or basic, basic Chinese words and phrases and charades and all of that stuff that I've talked about in other episodes. And I I got lazy and I slacked and I am embarrassed about it. I will also say that for English speakers, Chinese is, Mandarin Chinese is a very hard language to learn. Um, that's just an interesting note that largely in Taiwan, it's called Chinese. It's not called Mandarin, although I know that that does vary in other regions around the world, but that is what is spoken there is uh, primarily is Mandarin Chinese, although there are um, any number of indigenous languages as well and local languages that we don't want to forget about. When I was in Spain, I was living on Mallorca, which is in the Catalan region of Spain. So the family I lived with spoke Catalan. I did pick up a well, not a not a large degree. I picked up uh, quite a bit of Catalan. No, 
why do I keep saying quite a bit? I picked up some. For the fact that I was there for two months, I picked up quite a bit. But in the scheme of speaking a language, no, very, very, very basic stuff. But it helped that I was taking care of a two-year-old. So I learned like toddler level Catalan because she would speak to me um, in Catalan. I would speak to her in English and we sort of met in the middle at some point. But I learned some uh, toddler phrases in Catalan. And then I've also had just a little bit of experience with like sort of online app-based language learning. I've done both Chinese and German. I'm currently doing German just for fun on Duolingo to kind of brush up on that. And I will also say this is just a totally random point, but I have learned far more about English through studying other languages than I ever learned about English in school you know, in terms of like grammatical structure and vocabulary and all of that, I didn't even know what conjugating a verb was until I started taking a foreign language class. You know, it's just something we do automatically. We add the S to the he or the she or the it. Uh, Not something I ever thought about until I started studying a foreign language and realized, oh, I have to learn how to conjugate a verb. Oh, that's a thing I do in English too. which is embarrassing. When you already speak a language fluently as a native speaker, I guess there's not much of a reason to focus on it or to learn about it. But I do think we should be given a basic instruction into what we're already doing innately. But that's just me. So in putting together this episode, I was curious about language instruction around the world because I know that most other countries require learning a foreign language, often English, from a very young age in school. And so my first question was, is America the only country that doesn't require foreign language instruction? I couldn't find a blanket answer to that question, but according to the University of Winnipeg, which released this study, I think, fairly recently, it said 2022, so I don't know exactly when it was conducted, but um, it was put out recently. There are 142 countries in the world where English is a mandatory element of the national education policy concerning public education. 142 countries. That is huge. There are 41 countries in which English language is a possible elective subject or is offered in many but not all of the schools. So it could be a foreign language option, but it's not a requirement in 41 countries. But 142 countries require it. That's just absolutely crazy. According to Babbel, which released this article in 2018, so not totally up to date, but not super old, more than 20 European countries require the study of a second foreign language. So kids are already getting, again, probably English or probably a nearby European language in primary school. And then usually by high school, they're required to study an additional foreign language. And by 1974, so a while ago, one foreign language was compulsory in all but two European member countries, Ireland and the UK. And in Ireland, they were already taught in both English and Irish, but neither was considered a foreign language because both were considered native languages. So they were already getting two languages. They weren't required to study a foreign language, though. But yeah, by 1974, a foreign language was required in almost every European member country. So... It seems like most other countries around the world are really on board with this foreign language learning, which begs the question, why are we so bad at it in America? And you could say, well, we already speak English, and most of these other countries are requiring the study of English as the foreign language or one of the foreign languages. And while that is incredibly self-centered and lazy as an answer, I think it is to a large degree true. 
English is the lingua franca around the world, the language that most people speak when they don't have another language in common. And native English speakers have a huge advantage in already speaking that language. So as my experience traveling and especially living in Taiwan points out, we can largely get by in a lot of the world without learning or speaking another language. And that's a shame. <laughs> I mean, we have a huge advantage, but I'm also going to say that it's a shame. It's a shame culturally. It's a shame cognitively. Um, you know, in so many different ways, we benefit from from learning or attempting to learn another language. In the U.S., there is no compulsory language requirement for high school in any state, and that's even high school. You know, high school is the time where we. If we do learn, if we do learn another language, like I said, I started with Spanish. It's probably going to be in high school, which in itself is a bummer because it's so much easier to pick up languages when you're younger. Which is why most other countries start, you know, in first grade or even kindergarten or you know preschool. Um, so many teachers that I know in Taiwan were teaching English classes to toddlers. A lot of the kids are still in diapers when you're started at these preschools and things, which is actually illegal. But there's ways to get around that. But we're you know anyway, <laughs> we can talk about the requirements of teaching little kids in other countries at another time. But even at the high school level, which is when we typically start learning other languages in the U.S., there's still no compulsory re requirement in any state. So, like your school might require it, but at a state level, at a federal level, you're not required to learn a foreign language. And since the mid '90s, language learning at all levels of education in the U.S., middle school through college, has declined. It's actually decreased, which is a huge bummer. And why is that? I'm quoting from Babel here that 2018 article. Well, you could argue that since the first colonizers landed on our shores and eventually claimed independence, America has served as a rebuke to Europe. We wanted to do it all by ourselves, to not need England or anyone else. Our cultural attitude has been one of "no thanks, I'm good" since the very beginning. Again, that is painful, and has a large degree of truth in it. Changing demographics within our borders, plus more economic competition from other countries, has made Americans fearful of foreign influences and languages. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get political, but if there's an attitude of like exclusionism, leave us alone, close our borders, all of that, we're probably not going to be very welcoming of foreign influences and foreign languages. And I also think this is just my opinion, but. There's a general attitude of learning a foreign language as just being a class in school. You know, you go to math class, you go to English, science, you go to Spanish, French, whatever. We don't think about it as like something that could greatly benefit us in the rest of our life, or could facilitate traveling, or living in another country, or communicating with a person. I mean, I've used my low level of foreign language ability in the most bizarre circumstances. When I first moved to Taiwan and didn't speak any Chinese at that point, I was in a Seven Eleven, and I needed help with one of the machines. I was trying to actually like. Print tickets on a machine that they have in Seven Eleven because Seven Elevens do everything there, and I needed help. And none of the people in the store spoke English, so they, <laughs> one of the guys who worked there, just like shouted out, "Hey, does anyone speak English? This girl needs help." And this man came over, 
And he asked me in English, he said, you know, I speak a little bit of English, but my German is actually better. Do you speak German? And I was like, oh my gosh, I do. <laughs> I mean, not super well, but my German is better than my Chinese. So let's give it a go. And we actually did this whole interaction in German. Um, another time I ended up using Spanish in Taiwan. I'm trying to think if there are any other situations. I'm sure there have been, but those are the two that really jump to mind. So you never know when a random foreign language is going to benefit you. And I think that's something that we don't really realize, even though there's a huge degree of immigration in America. We, we just never think we get so complacent in our English speaking ability. And we never think about the fact that like, This is not just a grade that you're going to get in school. This is like a key to so many other things in life. All right, getting off my soapbox right now, but I think that is how it's, sorry, getting back on my soapbox. I think that is a difference in how other countries perceive foreign languages and studying them. It's not just a class. It's like, you need to learn this. It will help you throughout your life. All right, back off the soapbox. I also found an interesting article on theconversation.com which talks about the failure of foreign language education in America and makes the point that we have this sort of cyclical problem where we don't understand how foreign language education works. You know, we think it's a class that you can go to a few times a week and that's good enough, but that's not good enough. And so then we don't learn the language and then we think that language learning is impossible. And so then we don't prioritize it. And it sort of goes in that cycle. Like we don't think we're never going to gain mastery of it. So it's not important but we're never going to gain mastery of it because you can't do it a few times a week in high school and be successful. And it's just, you can see how that's a cycle that perpetuates. And then there's fewer requirements for it. And then, you know, less money is put towards it and teachers and all of that. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And it's a huge problem. But all of that being said, do you need to learn another language to travel or live abroad? No, you should. You should, you always should do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> But to travel, no. If that is going to be your block, like, oh, I don't speak the language, so I can't travel there, no, it's <laughs> absolutely not true. You should put in the effort ahead of time to learn a few phrases or things that will help you out. But in this day and age, especially if you have your phone, you have Google Translate, Like I've said in many other episodes, there's always charades, there's always pointing respectfully, don't don't point with your finger because a lot of cultures don't like that, um, but there's always gesturing and things you can definitely, definitely get by. Don't let lack of proficiency in a language prevent you from traveling. If you are going to make an attempt, I would definitely recommend if you have a trip planned, like a few months or even a few weeks out, um, pull up Duolingo, pull up an app, learn, you know, hello, please, thank you. Those are the real keys. And if you're ambitious, you could add in like where is or how much or the numbers one through 10, just like really basic stuff. Where is the bathroom? Um, if you have any dietary restrictions, like does this have dairy? Does this have gluten, things that'll really help you out in that other country. And people are going to love it. That is the biggest thing. When I've traveled and I've made even the barest minimum of an attempt to speak the language, people get so excited. You just make their day when you make that 
broken, badly pronounced attempt to speak their language. They just appreciate it so much. And I think that's largely because a lot of people don't or, you know, people who live in these other countries and speak English to some degree are so used to operating with foreigners in English that when the tables are turned, they really, really appreciate it. So I I do recommend that. If you are going to live abroad, it will absolutely help you if you start to learn the language or try to learn the language, take classes while you are there or ahead of time. It'll make your life easier. Again, people will really appreciate it as well. And whether it's strictly necessary depends on where you're going. You know, if you're going to live in a big city, metropolis, it's probably not necessary. I proved that. (laughs) Um, If you're going to be in a more rural place or a country that doesn't have a strong English education system or whatever your native language is, then it will be more helpful to speak the local language. That's why I took Czech classes in the Czech Republic, because I didn't live in Prague. I lived in a still a big city, but not a huge metropolis. And so Most people there did not speak English. It was more necessary for me to pick up basic Czech, at least. So it does depend on where you are going and also what other languages you speak. You know, if you don't speak English or another language that's commonly spoken there, then it will become more necessary for you to study their local language. Next question for traveling, does everyone speak English or doesn't everyone speak English? You could phrase that however you want, however uh, cynical you might be. No. I mean, kind of, yes. But also, no, you can't assume that everyone is going to speak English. Like I said, English is the lingua franca. Lingua franca is a language that two people or multiple people use when they don't have the same native language in common. So yes, English English is largely the lingua franca around the world, but there are areas that you might want to travel to where it's not commonly spoken. Fun fact, of the approximately 1.5 billion people around the world who speak English, less than 400 million use it as a first language. That means over 1 billion people speak it as a secondary language, which is crazy. So it's it's sort of that balance of like, yes, it is widely spoken around the world, it will get you very far in other countries, but you can never ever assume that it will be spoken or that the person you're talking to will speak English. I just think it's really presumptuous to make that assumption in another country that they will speak your native language. So both things are true at the same time, I think. Now, one thing that I know that I have wondered over the years, you may be wondering, what are the easiest and hardest languages to learn? Well, that's impossible to answer. Um, there's no there's no one answer for either of those questions. A language might be easy grammatically, but have a complex vocabulary or vice versa. It also hugely depends on what your native language is, because a language that is similar to English is going to be easier for native English speakers, but might be very hard for native Russian speakers or something like that. And one example of this easy in one way and hard in another would be Japanese for native English speakers. If English speakers are learning Japanese, Japanese has a relatively simple or has relatively simple pronunciation rules. And I think the grammar is fairly straightforward as well, but it has a vastly different written system and word order 
and it has categories of formality and politeness that English doesn't at all. So those are very different things that we would have to adapt to that would make it really hard, whereas the pronunciation and to some degree the grammar is simpler for us to master. So easy in one way, very hard in another. That was from Duolingo, which flat out refused to answer the question, what is the easiest language to learn, which I appreciate. You know, nothing is ever black and white. It's always shades of gray. But sometimes you just want an answer. Babbel did give us that answer. They gave us a list. They said for English speakers, these are the easiest languages to learn. Norwegian, which I did not expect to see at the top of the list, Norwegian is similar to English. It has a straightforward grammar structure and a lot of words that transfer from English or to English. So for example, you can guess what the words winter and sommer mean. And I'm very sorry for my pronunciation. I've never studied Norwegian. Second on the list is Swedish for similar reasons as Norwegian. Third on the list is Spanish. I expected Spanish to be number one. Um, Spanish is very phonetic. Once you learn the rules for how to pronounce things, it follows those rules, which English, frankly, doesn't. Uh, Spanish does have a lot of tenses, verb tenses, past, present, future, all those things, but they're actually very similar to English. So even though there are a lot of them, we already know them in our own language. Fourth is Dutch, followed by Portuguese, Indonesian, Italian, French, and Swahili. There were some surprises on that list. I expected like Spanish, French, Italian, <laughs> but maybe that's just because um, Spanish and Italian are similar and Spanish and French are what are generally taught in high school here. If you are a native Chinese speaker, I didn't want to look at this all from an English speaker's perspective. If you're a native Chinese speaker, the easiest languages to learn are Korean. More than 60% of Korean vocabulary comes from Chinese, so there's huge crossover in the words that you're using. Japanese, a lot of vocabulary crossover as well, and also they're in the same language family, which makes them easier, and similarities in writing systems. And then also Thai and Indonesian should be more straightforward for you as well if you are a Chinese speaker. The hardest languages to learn. This topped nearly every list I looked at Mandarin Chinese. One thing I, I don't think I mentioned when I was saying about my, my failure to learn Chinese proficiently when I lived in Taiwan is that it's very hard to pick it up naturally as a native English speaker. If you want to become proficient in Mandarin Chinese, you really have to study it. It's not something that you can intuitively pick up in the same way that I picked up some Catalan living in Mallorca. Um, so again, that's that's just me making excuses, but that was something that I found my experience with Chinese. And it is a very hard language to learn, according to most of these lists. And that's mainly because it's a tonal language. The tones are very different from a lot of the sounds that we make in English. They're also, they can be hard to hear, they can be hard to reproduce, and they can have a great deal of meaning in the language. So you you can't just say, oh, well, I used the wrong tone, whatever, I still said the right word. No, the tone makes the word. If you get the tone wrong, it means something entirely different. So it's very different for native English speakers to learn Chinese. It makes it very hard. Second on the list of hard languages is Arabic. It uses a non-Latin alphabet. There are no vowels. It's written from right to left. <laughs> so some similarities to Chinese there. Um, and it 
it has a lot of sounds that don't exist in English or are very hard to produce for English speakers, and it has complica- complicated grammar. So a lot of reasons why Arabic might be more challenging to learn. Followed by Polish. It has a lot of consonants. <laughs> uh, complicated grammar. It has seven cases. I saw in one place that it's called like German on steroids. So Polish can be complex to learn, followed by Russian, Turkish, and Danish. And I will also say, just because these languages are hard to learn does not mean you should not learn them. I think a challenge is fantastic. But if we wanted some of the generally easier languages and generally harder languages, these would be it. And just rounding this episode out with some different ways to learn a language, you can have one-on-one lessons, which would probably, in my experience, be the most effective. They would really keep you accountable. This would be you learning directly with a teacher. You could really have customized lessons in terms of your strengths and your weaknesses and your goals and all of that. You can also do group classes, so enrolling in like a school or a university. That would be good for conversation practice in class and also like study buddies outside of class. And then you can also study yourself. You can find online courses or textbooks or, you know, Duolingo apps. You're not going to gain the same degree of proficiency studying by yourself. I can speak from experience. But if you want to dabble in a language, if you want to, you know, give your mind some exercises, I think it's a great activity. Like I said, I'm doing German on Duolingo now. And because I already have a background in German, it's a little bit easier for me. But it's reminding me of vocabulary. It's reminding me of grammatical structures and all of that. So it's definitely not a bad thing to do. But if you really want to learn a language, you you need to have a teacher. <laughs> and some things to keep in mind if you are learning another language. Practice is key. And not being embarrassed to practice is key. This is something that I tried to drive home so hard with my students. Like, I don't care if you make mistakes. I don't care if you pronounce things wrong. Just just try, just try to talk to me. But I'm also very bad at taking my own advice. And I think that's one of the reasons why I struggled with Chinese in Taiwan is I was just so embarrassed to, to try to speak it and try to practice it. And that's that's not an excuse. That's not good. Um, I need to work on overcoming that definitely. But practicing is absolutely key. Even if you're not with another person, talk to yourself around the house. Like, try to say things to yourself in that language. Talk to your friends if you're both learning that language. And I remember living in Austria, uh, everyone in my apartment was learning German. And so we would sometimes have like an hour a day where we only spoke German to each other. And yeah, it was like very basic, childish level conversations, but it was still fun and it was a good way to practice. That's another tip. Living with other people who speak that language is huge. I think that's another reason why I picked up so much Catalan in two months in Spain is because I was living with a family who spoke that primarily at home, except when they spoke English with me. Also, TV shows, movies, etc., music in that foreign language. It sounds like it wouldn't work that well, but I have a friend who spoke near-perfect English. She's a, a Taiwanese friend that I met in Taipei, and her English was perfect. I would have thought she was American when I heard her talk. She'd never even been to America at that point or any other English-speaking country, and she credited her fluency to Netflix. She had language classes in school growing up, but she said the reason that she spoke with such a great accent and idioms and phrases and all of that was from watching TV shows and movies on Netflix. So, 
again, you may not learn a language that way, but it can definitely help you gain proficiency and gain fluency. And also just the old school method of like keeping a notebook or keeping a tab open on your phone and documenting words and phrases that you hear if you're living in another country or traveling, things that you hear all the time that you want to remember that might be important. It's old school, but it works. It's good. So that brings us to the end of this wide-ranging episode on languages. There are so many different aspects of this that we could do deep dives into, and I would love to do that in the future or talk to people who are bilingual or trilingual or all of those wonderful things. But if you have any comments or questions or stories about your own foreign language learning experiences... I would love to hear from anyone who grew up in another country as to what languages you studied in school. Was it English? Was it another language? Was it more than one? How did that go? Do you still remember any of it? Do you speak any of them fluently? I have so many questions. You can send any of those stories or your own questions to goingoutyourdoortravel at gmail.com. As always, follow me on Instagram and Facebook at goingoutyourdoor and on Twitter at goingoutyour. If you feel so inclined, you could hop onto Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And until next time, this is Going Out Your Door. 